This is the 2D10 Podcast. You better listen. Welcome to my podcast, Ryan. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. If we could, I'd like to get this stuff right out of the way. Aside from just being a name that I uttered out at the beginning of the podcast, can you kind of tell the listeners like who you are and like what you do related to gaming? Yeah, absolutely. I am the, uh, the president of uh, By Night Studios, which is the uh, official uh, publisher for Mind's Eye Theater products. Uh, for the World of Darkness. Uh, Mind's Eye Theater is uh, primarily the LARP-related products. Werewolf and Vampire the Masquerade and their sort of live-action role-playing products, right? Exactly. For for folks that don't know, um, By Night Studios, I think they licensed that LARP material, I don't know, like 2010, 2011, something like that. You probably know better than I would. But you are kind of like you and I guess your team are kind of more newly involved in in that company. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So they were, uh, you know, Vampire, uh, the Masquerade, the By Night Studios edition uh, came out in 2013. I I believe the Kickstarter and kind of the the company itself uh, began around that 2010, 2011 uh, territory. Um, But my team... uh, essentially came in uh, November of last year. We've kind of hit the ground running since then. Um, as you know, uh, Jason Carl was highly involved with uh, founding the company. Uh, Jason Carl being the brand marketing manager for uh, uh, Paradox for the World of Darkness. And as his responsibilities with uh, taking over, you know, for example, the LA by night show and yeah. uh, running things for the for the whole shebang for the tabletop and everything else he found that it was time to entrust the vision uh, to a new team and I just happened to be kind of in the right place at the right time I was selling my previous company uh, right as kind of the negotiations started about it working with my team I put together a proposal that was ultimately accepted by the old shareholders and uh, we moved in from here on it's it's all our kind of rodeo. So of course, this is going to be kind of a leading question, but what got you involved in wanting to be a part of that company? Um, had you had prior experience with LARPing? What drove you to want to have a part in that in that company, in that world? Yeah. So uh, I kind of I like to tell the story like this. Uh, if you had asked me three years ago and said, Ryan, you're going to be the president of Binite Studios, I probably would have said, well, what's Binite Studios? And then... <laughs> uh, Subsequently, you would have said something like, oh, the people who make Mind's Eye Theater. And then I've been like, I love Mind's Eye Theater. I play that all the time. It's my favorite hobby. So it, it, it kind of goes into that. I, I, am, uh, I come from a finance and uh, entrepreneurial business background. Uh, that's where my expertise is. That's what I bring to the table. Gaming as an industry is still very new to me, but we're learning as we go. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I would say that I'm always interested in business opportunities. And this one just happened to be there at the right time. And I thought to myself, well, this is my favorite hobby. What can I do to make sure that it exists uh, for the foreseeable future? You know, it's, yeah. it's existed nearly as long as I have been alive. How does it thrive for the next 30 plus years? So what have been like some of the big challenges coming into, you know, a company where uh, I, I don't know any of the details about By Night Studios or what, what any of the inner workings are. And I'm sure most other people don't either. Lots of people in gaming communities make pretty vague assumptions about things. But, you know, what, what were some of the challenges as like an entrepreneurial person, as somebody looking to come in and kind of like 
you know, put your stamp on a hobby that you enjoy and try to make sure that that hobby continues? Like what were some of the big challenges you faced coming into that company and, and even coming into this community? Um, I would say that the, the biggest challenge, if, if there is, it's always motivating uh, your internal team. Um, right. And when you've got new people uh, along with some of the uh, old team members, you know, you've got a, you've got a challenge of, of getting everybody in line with a vision uh, for how you're going to go forward from there. And, you know, there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the road and, you know, you've got to kind of roll with the punches as you go. Um, I've always been kind of a, a bit of a student of the entrepreneurial ecosystem. In fact, I was the uh, founder of, uh, in my old hometown, which is Tallahassee, Florida, of the Florida Angel Investment Nexus, which raised several million dollars for local startups over there. So I've always been kind of aptly aware of, of what we were trying to do from a business standpoint mm-hmm. and seeing where perhaps an old team that was more from a creative standpoint and, and less of a business focus coming in and, and kind of putting some of that infrastructure from a pure you know, financial standpoint was, I think, the, the biggest and most important hurdle that we've come across. Um, and also just going from when you play LARP in troops, you get a different concept than perhaps interacting with, say, a national club or uh, conversing with uh, fans from all across the country. Yeah, uh, definitely. And then, of course, we don't want to uh, forget the uh, the effect of COVID, which was quite a <laughs> quite a bit unexpected. Yeah. Um, well, rather unexpected in the sense that uh, when we initially got involved with the company, we had no idea what was coming. Uh, but right. you know, in early January, there were kind of signs. We started laying some, you know, contingency plans, and we executed upon them, and they're, they're doing well. Yeah, I, I uh, actually, I want to interrupt you for just a second um, on kind of like a related note to that. If memory serves correctly, we had talked back in December on a different podcast, and you had commissioned us to do some advertisements for you for um, a game that you had coming up. And I don't think we've really spoken since that game was supposed to happen. Did what happened with that game? Did it even end up happening? So we initially uh, postponed it to uh, October uh, 5th, but ultimately based upon the conditions in Florida itself, uh, which is particularly heavy hit by the pandemic, Uh, we decided that for the safety of all the fans that we would go ahead and and cancel and and refund everybody. Uh, Thankfully, we had made sure to never touch any of the ticket funds and were able to process all the refunds in a fairly quick manner. As I understand it, they're all taken care of now. And of course, airlines and hotels are being forgiving given these unprecedented situations. Yeah, uh, I I can imagine it's been crazy because um, I think you know, we're, we're recording this in early August and, you know, last weekend would have been Gen Con and, you know, there's been countless other events and conventions that just, sorry, you know, that's, that's how it's got to be. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. I, I have nothing like this I've ever experienced in my life. Are you at all planning or have you contemplated doing anything virtually? Um, you know, a lot of other folks have kind of jumped into that arena. I don't know how you guys are as far as that presence is concerned. Yeah. So we actually have kind of, uh, I should say that I had founded a, uh, a, a, a game, a LARP that runs that has about 80 players. 
uh, it had always been kind of a, we meet once every three months to play the game in person, but there's also a kind of 24 seven virtual component. So coming into this situation, I was, um, very prepared to, uh, uh, look into, uh, doing some virtual work with BNS. And so, uh, while it is not yet, um, in a state that I would like to, you know, kind of present it out to the public where it's, it's open access and you can join it. Uh, I have kind of a mission on a BNS premium virtual game, uh, run by paid storytellers where, you know, the idea is that anyone anywhere at any time Mm -hmm. can have access to a great mind's eye theater experience. And I think in a lot of ways, the mind's eye theater rules are just much superior for a larger game, uh, especially online. The simplification uh, helps move things along and uh, allows for more dynamic interactions, in my opinion. Certainly, certainly from a time constraint. I mean, I love tabletop rules. I'll always be a a tabletop fanboy, you know, depending on my version of the game or whatever. But I think, you know, from a, from if you have 60 people, 70 people online, all trying to do things, you probably want very quick resolution. Uh, Cause that, that stuff, you know, I, I have experience to some degree running a game online and uh, yeah, it can be, it can drag. So it's, it's a good idea to use quick rules. Yeah. We, we have a, we have a play test running right now, which I occasionally uh, step in to run a scene or two for. It's just because I'm a huge uh, text RP fan, but um, you know, I, I'd say it's going very, very well. Um, all the players seem super excited about it. You know, the big question will be um, when we open this up and allow a lot more players to join Yeah, and there's a monthly subscription because we've got to pay the storyteller somehow. Will it continue to do as well as it's doing? And I, I want to say, yes, I think there's a hunger for kind of a, a 24 seven kind of outlet for role-playing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I definitely, and I'll, I'll give you some, some, you know, advice off of the cuff here. I think there is certainly a market for that. People definitely want to do it. I think paying your storytellers is absolutely 100% necessary. You need people that not only are not just volunteering their time, but, um, are capable of being held accountable to it. Um, because it truly is in, in your circumstance, Oh yeah. you know, with by night studios, like you are a business, you know, you are a licensed provider of material, uh, which is awesome. Um, but you know, in a, in like a normal fan community, you're always going to have sort of like a mixed kind of like people are very excited to be there. People are very excited to storytell and then they're, they're gone, you know, they disappear. The, so uh, the, bu- the by night studios book, uh, terms at draft dodging and it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it is, uh, it is what it is. You'll never, I, I go back to that concept of motivating, uh, teammates and, yeah. you know, you can never forget that there needs to be a financial incentive for people. And it's only fair too. they're putting in the work, you know, every, we, we should all do better, especially for LARP in <laughs> supporting our storytellers because it, it's a tremendous amount of work to run a, a 50 person chronicle. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it really is. And I think that's, you know, kind of the future of how do we, you know, take by night studios from and mind's eye theater from where it is now um, back to perhaps where it was in the past mm-hmm. uh, in the late nineties, when there were a you know, hundred thousand people playing every single week uh, yeah. in laws of the night um, uh, style games. 
I think that what we need to do is uh, create tools, create systems, create procedures that make it easier for storytellers and help change the conversation from the storyteller works for me to I should support my storyteller because they're providing this this wonderful thing for me. You know, how, how do you keep people interested? And also, you know, how do you keep storytellers interested? You know, especially, oh, they when, burn out. you know, yeah. yeah, when you're working with, you know, just a local group, you know, a lot of times, uh, storytellers are donating way more time to plotting out games, to maintaining character sheets, to figuring out locations to run a game. And it can be very thankless. And I think, you know, in my, in my older age now, I very much want to be a part of a community where, you know, the folks that are are in charge, whatever the storytellers are, you know, if you have like a strategic person that's involved in the game, like those people need to be praised and compensated and, you know, feel like they're doing something, not just, you know, and I don't know if it's necessarily monetarily compensated, but yeah, exactly. Make it so that the amount of time and effort that they put in pays off for them and keeps them wanting to, to continue doing it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that uh, ultimately Binance Studios has a role in, in providing tools. And, um, you know, in the, in the past there, there was a system called Grapevine, which helped manage mm-hmm. uh, a LARP. I'd, I'd love to see a new uh, system like that, that enables, you know, games to be a little bit more streamlined. So there's, there's less admin work. Yeah. Um, on the part of whoever's participating in staff. Um, well, I, I do know somebody who's trying to develop something, <laughs> but actually to be fair, if you're a LARPer or a former LARPer, uh, you probably know somebody who's trying to do that. But, uh, yeah, I do know somebody who's trying to do that. Um, I know that the other big organization, um, one world by night, as far as I know, I think they actually now own grapevine and they're trying to like readapt it for their system or something. I, don't don't quote me, but uh, that's that's what I heard, anyways. Um, my understanding is that well, let's move aside from Grapevine because it would need it would need to be something <laughs> yeah. new, anyways. Uh, yeah, with a more absolutely. modern uh, framework. But you know, I, I think the the clubs are are doing kind of their best on this front, and they you know they have their own systems and processes that they've yeah. developed in order to uh, run very very large games, um, uh, national games, uh, interconnected chronicles. At the same time. You know, they're all volunteers and there's nobody who's going to necessarily, I say that, but it could still happen. There's no one <laughs> with the, with the focus to, to drive a major tech, uh, update through. Right. Right. Um, because it's, it's only, uh, you know, potential headache after headache, cost, expense. Binite Studios could, I think, be a part of providing those kind of solutions. I have this idea and, uh, it's actually a lot closer than a lot of people might believe to uh, being a real thing, which is the idea of a, a system reference document for Mind's Eye Theater, uh, somewhat like Pathfinder does uh, for their uh, product. Not a wiki in mm-hmm. the way that they do, but essentially a, a tech platform that allows you to find the base rules of the game uh, on the web. Uh, and so you don't need to carry the book around with you necessarily. Right. You can search easily find and you know the kind of the question becomes well how does binet studios do well people aren't buying the books um my thought is that people will still buy the physical books 
for certain. And that, you know, you can do kind of what Pathfinder has done, which is include links to other merchandise inside the SRD so that those who want to support it can. Yeah. I think that that the, the question of merchandise is really important too, because, um, the community, as far as like, I'm concerned, the non book peripheral material, uh, t-shirts, hats, blah, 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 et cetera, has been like grossly, um, underprovided in, in the vampire, the masquerade community. And like, I'm a person like I, I'm a sucker for a t-shirt. Um, a sucker for a hat, you know, I, I see that like people still have to wear clothes, even, even if people aren't buying books necessarily, uh, people still have to buy clothes and people still like to represent the stuff that they're interested in, you know, whether it's on their body or on a sticker. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's really important, uh, in the whole business process. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that merchandise has been, you know, kind of one of the, one of the very exciting parts of, uh, being involved with by night studios is because we found that, Folks are interested in this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there had been, uh, in my understanding, is that there was a some some kind of technical glitch with the in the maybe six or so months before we took over, where orders weren't being reported and orders weren't being fulfilled mm-hmm. um, by the company. Uh, so when my team came in, we we looked at all those orders, and you know we got people saying, "I'm not getting my stuff," and you know though we had made an agreement that the debts of the company would remain with the old team and only the assets would transfer to us. We decided as a company that what we would do is we would go to all those people who are still waiting on their items and fulfill them at our own cost. Um, and I think doing so has bought us a tremendous amount of goodwill with the community because people who are waiting, you know, six months, nine months, sometimes longer, uh, for an item, suddenly found their item in the mail after they started talking to us. You know, we, we've only kind of begun to uh, uh, see the opportunity in that. And, you know, I hope that we'll have some exciting new merchandise to announce in the next uh, couple of months. Um, you may have heard that uh, uh, Paradox and uh, ourselves launched a, a joint store, uh, the Pride Store for... Uh, World of Darkness. It's a seasonal oh, yeah. store for, yeah. have you seen that? Yeah, I did. I did see that. Yeah. What strikes is that, uh, there hadn't been something like this before. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, as a longtime fan of the, of the world of darkness of vampire, the masquerade, you know, I, I think a, a lot of times it ebbs and it flows, you know, you get really excited in the community and then things just kind of like go to a simmer and you don't really hear a lot about it. And, yeah, I think for a fan, like we don't, we don't really know the business end of it. You know, fans don't know why companies don't do things. Um, but obviously, you know, there's probably been a lack of direction or funding or whatever that's prevented it. But, um, yeah, with the amount of stuff that's, that's, you know, been coming out with the stuff that paradox has been providing. Um, I think it's good to see it. I think that more interest in the community, I think that can only be brought about by like more input from the companies, more like more activity, more doing stuff. I I think it's pretty obvious for most fans, most long-term fans of gaming that like the book solution can't be your only driving factor. 
And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that just seems to be like, you have well, to be able to think outside that box. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, especially when it comes to the, the PDFs, um, you know, for every one that's, that's purchased, uh, you know, 10 more are given away, which makes sense, of course, because when someone is first trying out a LARP, you know, they've got to see the rules to be able to do so. Right. And they're not yet, you know, they don't know that this is going to become an, a, a hugely important part of their life that they're going to, they're going to love and cherish and play every month. But that would be the moment that they would make a purchase decision, but they, you know, there's never a, a, a subsequent moment uh, unless, you know, there's someone like by night studios um, providing other, um, you know, resources and reminding, Hey guys, uh, you may not have bought the book initially, but you know, if you would like to support us, we can continue making more books. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. And thank you. <laughs> I mean, um, I, that was always to me, the, uh, the rationale behind this was that this game provides just a, a tremendous amount of value for the players. It, it's so much fun. It's hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Um, every month and sometimes more often, especially if there's a 24 seven, you know, kind of online server attached to the, to the live game, uh, which I, I think the most successful uh, troops are doing, you know, because it, it enables as a kind of a feeder for more players to be involved yeah. in the game. Um, if, if you have that, th- there's no better bang for your buck. Uh, and in most cases, people don't ever really kind of interact with binite studios at all. That's, that's kind of like I mentioned at the start of the, um, our conversation, you know, if you would ask me who's by night studios, I, I would not have known, um, right. in the past, um, right. because I wasn't heavily involved in the gaming community. I was involved in the finance community, finding a way to do a little bit better about that. I think will be, you know, what they say when they talk about our success story in the future. We, you, you'd ask me really like what, what's the end goal with the podcast? And I had to think for a minute, like, what is the end goal? Well, I think questions like that, where you go, well, what's by night studios. I, I've interacted with a lot of just gamers in general over the last three or four years that I've been podcasting things that I take for granted as someone who's kind of a, a bit more knowledgeable about things just outside of the consumer base of knowledge. I take for granted, like, you know, who's, who's Onyx path publishing. What do they have to do with, <laughs> with this? Like what's a white wolf? You know, a lot, of, a lot of folks, they don't know that stuff and they don't know who the companies are. And that's not information that's made readily available to anybody. And you do have to search. And, you know, f- frankly, most people are not going to be as nerdy as me about that stuff. And I feel like it's kind of my duty as a nerd who has this knowledge to go here, let me help you. This is who by night studios is. This is what they manufacture. This is what they produce. This is what they, et cetera, because it's stuff I love. Everybody should love it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the, uh, and if you went to our website, it would still be the, the listed vision that um, Jason Carl and the others um, initially proposed for Binance Studios, which was to to usher in a renaissance in the uh, in the Mind's Eye Theater gaming communities, mm-hmm. um, which in a lot of ways they did. I mean the the Binance Studios version of the rules. My humble opinion, and I admit that I am as biased as could possibly be, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are just they're tremendously well proportioned for run. You can you can almost run them, and in fact, I would go so far as to say you can run them straight as written without any kind of alterations for most games. And that is something that in my opinion, again, 
you just couldn't do what the old was. And, you know, in a lot of ways, they brought about that rebirth, that, that creative spark. Well, just like they were the Renaissance, I, I kind of view me and my team's goal as being an industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, taking that, uh, that creative spark that uh, created something that is truly has the potential to be worldwide again, um, to be a household name again, and putting the kind of infrastructure in the team and the people who are only focused on this uh, behind it necessary for that to happen. And uh, I think that, you know, we're, we're well on our way. You know, the uh, Harvard says you've got to crawl before you walk before you run, before you sprint. Right. I would say that we're slowly getting up from the crawl and, and getting into the walk, but you know, soon it'll be running and then just watch us go. I wanted to ask you, uh, Nate, yeah. you know, I've heard uh, probably the best uh, recommendation I had heard of you and which is kind of when I, when I reached out to see if we could uh, potentially do uh, an ad with you all was what someone said that uh, the thing that they most enjoyed was hearing some of your old war stories about war. <laughs> So I want to hear your favorite war story about war. Uh, <laughs> one of the the one that comes to mind that I think I had like the most fun with that was it was I, I would say 2010, 2011, maybe earlier than that. I'm not 100 percent sure about the date, but we took a trip to Milwaukee and we went to um, this was right after they released the 20th anniversary edition mm-hmm. and we went to midwinter and it wasn't really a very big convention per se, but um, uh, the one world by night organization was mm-hmm. running a yearly LARP there. And that was huge. There was a ton of people there. And at that time, I had never, and the friends that I I went with, we had never played in any kind of org. The only games uh. we ever played <laughs> were were local games with you know the, the community that we played in, you know in the in the late nineties to to like the mid two thousands was always pretty big. It was a pretty solid. We lived in the Chicago suburbs, so there was a lot of people that played. So we never had to go to an organization. We never had to drive to the city. We could just go to the suburbs and play. But we went here. We went to this game. Long story short, it's a one world by night game. And so the first thing we do is we walk up and we're like, hey, what's character creation rules? And they kind of looked at us like we had 12 eyes. <laughs> they were like, what do you mean? And we were like, well, you know, it's a convention, right? So do you have pre-gens? And again, they were like, what? No, we don't have pre-gens. And I was like, okay. Can can we play? <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, just uh, whatever. Go make a seven five three character." So we do. I make an anarch and uh, just an anarch bruja, stereotypical twelfth generation type of guy. Probably my other my friends, favorite it, kind of character. Yeah, the kind of, and, the, and I, the kind of guy who's just like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> right. And and I I just I went. Yeah. You know, I don't care about any of the plots that are here. I'm just going to play this lone anarch guy, and I'm just going to act like you know I don't know why I'm here. This is all crazy. And so I just I just kind of like had the sassy attitude the whole the whole oh, yeah. weekend. So in the plot line of their game, uh, they have summoned all of the Bruja, Camarilla, Sabat, Anarch to this meeting place. And I walk in, and again, I don't know anything sounds, about sounds their like game. it's gonna turn out very badly. But go on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about their game. I don't know their plot. I don't know. What I, I don't know anything about One World by Night. So I sit down and the folks that are in the room that seem to be of high authority 
uh, based on their position and their demeanor and their way of talking. They start telling me about how um, we, we all need to come together so that we can go to Africa and we can fight the Bruja antediluvian. And I well, was like, wait, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> right. It, and I was like, wait a minute, what we're, we're going to do what to who? Yeah. Yeah. We, we all have to. And I was like, Hey, hold up. Like, I know there's this weird thing that we kind of claim like all Bruja got each other's backs, but like, I don't know any of you. And I was totally fine chilling in Des Moines. So I don't know why you would want me to get into an airplane and fly to Africa, but it seems like whatever's happening in Africa is probably their problem and not mine. <laughs> and this didn't go over well for, for like the next 45 minutes. I kind of like started to make the most logical argument, you know, the argument that any like sane person would, would make like, this is silly. There is no such thing as the end of the world. Whoever's told you this, probably the Ventru are trying to trick you into everybody getting on a plane so they can sink it into the ocean. And over time, the room yeah. starts to kind of, they start to kind of change and people are like, wow, you know, like he's an asshole and he's annoying and he's interrupting our meeting, but like also he's kind of right. And uh, so this goes on for about 45 minutes. And then someone of even greater authority of the Bruja clan, I believe the character was an archon. He comes in and he's like, all right, let's go. Everybody ready. And, but now the room's like divided and they're like, but wait a minute, this guy's got valid points. So I start trying to argue with him. And the character was great at being tough and intimidating, but I'm an old school LARPer. Like I don't react to intimidation. Like I'm playing an anarch. I don't care. You're an archon. Go screw. And so I continue <laughs> to argue with him and argue with him. And he finally, he breaks down and he's like, screw it. I know this isn't going to work, but I'm going to try anyways. And he whips out the, the dominate stick. And, you know, we, we play rock, paper, scissors and we tie. And like, I think he expects that I must be a powerful character and I'm not, <laughs> I, got, I just, I just made that character that night and I'm 12th generation. I've got nothing. And of course he just like crushes my will. And he's like, you get out of here. You never come back. I never want to see you again. And I'm just like, all right, well, my job's done. I made my point and I left and that was the last I heard of it. And I think they all got on the plane and went to Africa, but I stood my ground. And I didn't have to go fight an antediluvian. That sounds like the most sane, you know, the last <laughs> Bruja standing. <laughs> right. Um, the best part was, you know, everybody like, we're all going to die if we don't. And I was like, I don't think y'all know what an antediluvian is, but you're probably going to die if you do. I, uh, I, like, wait, what? I, I love, uh, I love playing the Bruja. Um, you know, my, me and my kind of friends group, what we, we play the honey badges. We're all, we're all Brooklyn toughs uh, right. <laughs> who, uh, we don't stand for no abuse of nobody. Uh, we, uh, you know, we stand up for the little guy and, uh, you know, basically we play the, uh, the nines. If you're familiar with bloodlines, uh, uh -huh. the guy at the, the very start of the game was like, when they're about to kill the player character and it's like, that's bull. <laughs> Right. Right. You know, you get on your soapbox in Elysium and you just, you just complain. Right. Right. You know, exactly. You know, like I, I don't want no violence or nothing, but you know, you can't be doing this. Our, our, our very first kind of interaction with the, the honey badgers was we ran into a, a Ventru. Uh, I think the Ventru whip came up to us 
uh, and there's like, there's like five of us. And, uh, he, he's like, Oh, hello. Uh, please accept a trivial boon, uh, for my introduction, uh, Weedle, Weedle, Weedle. And we're all just like, yeah, that's cool. We like that. Yeah. We'll take a boon. And then, uh, he's like, Oh, are, are you all thirsty? And he, he brings over his, uh, his paragon retainer, his, his ghoul. And is like, you can drink from her. And we're like, we, we stop talking to him. We all just go look at the ghoul and are like, are you doing this because you want to do it or because he's making you do it? <laughs> uh, at which point it starts into a, a gigantic argument over uh, the rights of ghouls in <laughs> the, the venture elders get involved and uh, we go till, till game gets called. And then afterwards uh, everybody's all giggles and laughs. Cause frankly, it's like the iconic vampire experience being, you know, the, the whole Carthage versus Rome, the whole rebel versus, uh, you know, the tyrant. Yeah. Uh, I say that I, I love both, you know, I love basically every clan. The only clan that I, I can't really play is the Nosferatu. Cause I just, I, I don't connect with wanting to live in the sewer and, uh, hide. It's just, yeah. it's, it's not for me. But, um, other than that, you know, there, there's great stories to be told and, and you can never get something as spontaneous as, a venture whip trying to convince five Bruja anarchs uh, to be his friend, you know, in a tabletop because yeah. nobody would ever think about doing that. <laughs> right. And I, that, I think that's the, the real beauty and attraction of playing a LARP is, you know, there's so many interactions with real people that, that aren't the storyteller, you know, as a storyteller, like obviously it's our job to populate the world with every character, but there's some part of your brain that knows no matter what that NPC that you're interacting with is just, it's just Ryan, right? It's just yeah. you as the storyteller playing that character. But when you get, you know, a dozen people or you get 30 people or whatever, you know, to infinity, all of those people have individual creativity that they've poured into that character. And, you know, we as individuals, we don't know if that's like, you know, just something that they wrote down that they were going to do and they've been practicing all week or it's just improvisational. But either way, you get to interact with these characters in a way that the storyteller's individual mind really, I don't think, could come up with, you know, in, in a spontaneous manner. Or, or at the very minimum, couldn't commit the time to. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, even if the storyteller is the best role player in the world, they can't be everywhere at every time. Right. Um, and they can only, you know, they can come in, have an impactful interaction, you know, and, and the best storytellers will, you know, kind of carefully plan how they will kind of make that incisive move, typically right. kind of adding the horror, the conflict element. But, um, you know, the kind of, I, I spoke earlier, I think before, um, we started recording of, of the idea of what, what's really so amazing about World of Darkness is the the verisimilitude, the 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 way that it invokes the real world. And to me, LARP uh, again, all the bias in the world <laughs> uh, gets that verisimilitude better than anything else because they're real people. And yes, you know it's got it's challenges that come with having, you know, 50, 60 people, you know, you get clicks, you get drama, so to speak, yeah. that you don't get in a tabletop group because frankly, if you 
if you like to dress up and play pretend, you tend to be a bit of a dramatic person. And every now and again, <laughs> every now and again, you know, there will be personality conflicts that, you know, all you can do is, is try and be as caring and, and loving to everyone as possible. That's, that's my general philosophy that there will be arguments, but if you remember at the end that the fundamental attribution error is a thing, people who do things, even if those things are wrong, are not necessarily bad people. They most likely, if you were truly being fair, have extenuating circumstances that explain their behavior, just like you apply for yourself. And if you can kind of go in with that, that mindset in mind that nobody's out to get you, nobody's inherently bad, though there are some that are inherently bad, yeah. uh, <laughs> but the vast majority are not. Um, you know, I think you can get through kind of the sometimes unpleasant interpersonal conflict that comes, uh, in some warps. And that's, that's just a personal opinion, but yeah, you know, I've seen it play out time and time again and, you know, there's no, there's no silver bullet, but you know, to have this kind of real experience, you have to accept that there's going to be, you know, real personalities. Involved. Right. No, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, um, to some extent, I think, you know, we, we all suffer from, you know, being those personalities from time to time. I, I I've made it a pretty, um, I, I've made it like my goal basically that when I go to a LARP, you know, I, I am super, the guy that's going to play the character. Right. But I try to make sure mm -hmm. that when I'm done playing that character, people that I have interacted with, I go to them and, you know, I compliment their play. I let them know like, Hey, I'm not just that guy. You know, I'm not just the asshole bruja who got booed out of the room or whatever. You know, I'm not the diablerist asmite who's trying to bang down your door. Like, you know, you did some really good stuff, whatever. But I think that that comes with maturity. I think that's like any other, any other game, any other competitive or semi-competitive um, endeavor. You, you do need to touch base with people. You do need to consider people's feelings from time to time. Cause it's not just all about you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, uh, the vampire book and the werewolf book, both encourage, you know, positive metagaming, so to speak. Metagaming is a dirty word in the art, but it's, you know, there's a very big difference between cheating and, you know, making an effortful adjustment for another player's enjoyment that doesn't take away from your own. And I think we should all get more comfortable, <laughs> uh, with the idea that, you know, if what is going on doesn't really affect your story, then there's no reason not to let someone else have their story if they if they want. If you can make the change, uh, you know, not every case, but there there is something to be said for like a full PvP game. Um, and there are games like that out there. Yeah, that, sure, it has its it has its place. Um, you know, I once uh, back uh, while playing Laws of the Night, in my very first game, um, not my first game playing, but the the first troop that I was involved with. Uh, took over the city in a bloody coup. Uh, and I, I still remember coming back. I, I must've been responsible for more PC deaths than the, the entire staff and their entire history combined um, as the prince. Cause I, I was a total tyrant because that was the character. And it was that sort of game where you could be like that. But I remember coming back to the, to the group um, still as a very new novice player, um, you know, smart, but, I had not done this before, so I hadn't had the maturity that you speak of to 
to really be thinking about how others were interacting. I was just trying mm-hmm. to hit my character, right. uh, but I, I came back and, uh, you know, all my allies around me are like, so, uh, he's Prince now. And I was like, yep. And then the Seneschal, former Seneschal, I should say, was like, why is he Prince? And then I'm like, well, because I quickly slash you and I have the bomb and I win all ties. Of course. And, uh, they woke up in my basement and, uh, you know, from then on that, that player kind of never really came back to the game <laughs> in, in yeah. the way that they did before. <laughs> and, and, you know, I tell that as a fun story because, you know, in some ways that's kind of a, you know, a Clint Eastwood kind of moment. But at the same time, if I had been a little bit more sensitive, like I am now to how they were feeling, right. probably would have role played that out right? and, and given them a moment to understand, Hey, yeah, I just killed the old Prince and all of his supporters that have any, you know, chance of uh, resisting us. So uh, that makes me the Prince. <laughs> right right uh, and, and yeah unfortunately you know that that i think a lot of people hear stories about stuff like that and they're like oh geez i don't want to larp but here's the truth of it it's the same reason why people tell any stories right because when you talk about like how you had a great role-playing session and you had a 45 minute long conversation with somebody about the specifics of prestation in chicago versus in france it's cool and fun and entertaining in the moment but it doesn't make for a very good story on the back end, the good stories, the quote unquote good stories tend to be like, Oh, all this bad crap happened. Holy crap. Those are all learning situations. Those are all scenarios where you grow as a player, you grow, hopefully you grow creatively and you know, you become more mature, you know, like, like we both said, where you start to actually try to think of things from the perspective of everyone. And I think for, you know, for me, for a lot of people, my age have been LARPing for a long time. You know, I started when I was 15, you know, I wasn't even old enough to make legal decisions for myself. So, you know, it it took, it took a while for me to grow as a person and grow as a gamer, as a storyteller, as a player, and really think outside of myself. I think for adults, LARP can be a lot, a lot of fun. I think that I think back on this event a lot, not only because it was, you know, again, the night that you took take over in a bloody coup is a night that you never forget. Uh, especially considering it was unplanned um, initially. You know, we did the right thing. We we didn't kill their character or anything. Just, mm-hmm. you know, we woke them up and explained that this is the way things are now. And I'm sorry, but you'll just have to accept our administration. Uh, <laughs> and that'll be all there is to it. But if I had been just a little bit more attentive and and willfully showing attentiveness and caring out of care. In addition to what we did, I think that we would not have had that player eventually kind of, you know, lose interest in playing their character and just kind of, you know, randomly attempt to betray us in some epic moment that, you know, was never going to succeed, but, but it was, uh, you know, it was kind of just them writing off their own characters. Like, I don't want your story to end that way. It could have been so much more. I think it's having that collaborative mindset and, making sure to show the love out of, out of game immediately yeah. afterwards or around and enduring. Um, that that's the secret sauce. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, from, I, I probably have a similar situation of most people who played world of darkness, you know, many years ago. Um, you know, I, I stopped LARPing for three, four years, kind of got fed up 
And I felt like, you know, oh, every game you go to is just like, you know, hack and slash, you know, rock 'em sock 'em robots and all that. And when I moved out of the area where I was living, I moved out of state and I started like actually playing other games with other people and playing in like some of the, the fan club games, the yeah, one world by yeah. night games and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I learned that the games and the people that play those games are incredibly varied. And, um, you know, I, I, I played the most recent game that I played in long term was like a mostly political Sabat game. Excellent. And, and, and it was just like, holy crap. And it was some of the most fun I ever had and like went and made friends with all of those people. And it was only because I was able to go somewhere else, play with other people, get outside of my comfort zone, you know, stop sort of like screaming into the wind that I was able to discover that like, there is a whole other world out there of, you know, reasonable, responsible, adult, mature players that just love the same thing you do. So, uh, I think we're kind of coming up on our time, but I wanted to ask you a question. And uh, mm-hmm. being much more experienced with the the canon and lore, so I've got this pot that I I ran in the the BNS play test for the premium game with mm-hmm. uh, essentially the the concept of it is is that the uh, one player uh, wanted to get out of a blood bond, um, and there is a there's a mechanism to do so in in Binance Studios called the Flower of Cupola. Uh, ritual mm-hmm. that Carpathians can do. It's essentially um, something similar to a Valdry without all the negative things. Um, however, there was no player Carpathian. So staff kind of got involved and we decided well, we'll make a plot about it. Mm-hmm. And so all these players went to uh, the Carpathian mountains to meet a Carpathian Samashe uh, or Zemisi as it may be. And uh, had them perform this ritual. What the players didn't know and I did was that it was also the feast day of Ivan Cupola in Transylvania in the Carpathian mountains on that day. Uh, so I ran kind of a, a plot line where they got to meet, uh, you know, they, they went looking for the magical flower, uh, mm-hmm. in the for <laughs> in the forest. And, uh, you know, I made it suitably difficult making it feel like it's kind of like a D and D adventure. And then, uh, when they get to the flower, you know, there's all these messages directly to them and you know they go on they start to get kind of freaked out because it's horror Mm -hmm. and then i'm like would you like to or perception the flower and they do and i'm like that's a demon (laughs) (laughs) now uh subsequently we we were in a great plot in 14 but my thought my question for you was what Mm -hmm. is cupola is it a you know is it a talent of the worm is it the eldest is it? Uh, it's an earthbound demon. Um, as far as, as far as my understanding, I, I've often referred, I don't know how it's actually pronounced, but, uh, I, I usually call it Kapala. Kapala um, yes. Yeah. I, I, and again, I, these are like fake made up words or they're words that aren't in the English lexicon. So I totally understand if I'm pronouncing it wrong, according to anybody else's perceptions, but you know, Shamasay Zemis, whatever. Um, as far as I know, Kapala is, is a demon. It's an earthbound demon. Um, but that just, again, it just depends on your, like your canon perspective. Like when in the canon are you tuning in, you know, when in the meta plot does it happen? But as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I've always ran it, 
Um, Kapala is, it's a demon. It's a demon that resides in the land. It's bound to the earth. And um, the, as far as I know, the guru, uh, many, many eons ago, uh, bound that demon to the earth, that worm creature, if you will, to the earth. Um, I think um, Demon the Fallen indicates that it's a, it's a, it's an earthbound demon. So yeah, that's, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you took a player to the Carpathian mountains and you made them hunt down uh, a flower to help them break the bond, essentially doing what the, the early uh, anarchs did to break their bonds to the elders. And you advise them to look at that flower with their heightened perception. And you indicated that it was a demon. I say, you're right. I say you're 100% correct. <laughs> uh, we ended up uh, for the next 14 days ran kind of like a, a plot where every single day there was a, there was an omen to the player basically saying you're, you're, you're done at the end of 14 days. Uh, then with like three days to go, we said, there's a way to get out of it. You just have to do the ritual again and spread the curse to the next person, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which they did of course. Um, Cause they had to at the time. Um, then they researched a way out, of course. Uh, but, uh, very, very proud of it, uh, <laughs> how it all worked out. But I was always kind of curious, you know, with the demon, the fallen, it's, you know, Kupala does, or Kupala, as it may be, uh, doesn't seem to have an angelic precursor that then became an earthbound, but, but I suppose that's certainly possible. Yeah, um, I think I, I'm not 100% of my demon, the fallen lore, but as far as I know, the um, the kind of like the demons that you find in um, the Carpathian Mountains and the demon that you find in Montreal, those were never like good demons that went to hell. Like they were they were sent to the earth and they were bound to the earth. Like those are not good demons in the, you know, quote right, unquote. Right you know, demon, the fallen, the demons aren't necessarily good, but like they're, they're fallen because they kind of like stood up for man. Yeah, you know, they, they wanted to, yeah. right, right. So, so that, you know, there's something good about them, but the earthbound, they're not, they're not from hell. They didn't escape hell. And now they're trying to like solve mysteries and you know, whatever. They're just bad. <laughs> They've just always <laughs> been bad. Um, so I, I think in, in that regard, if my, if my memory of the lore serves me correctly, I think that's right, but you know, it's white. Wolf. It's, it's, it's kind of flexible at that, at that right. Stage. It's, yeah. it's world of darkness. You know, if you want it to be a thousand different, th if you want it to be a worm creature, that's what it is. If you want it to be a demon, that's what it is. If you want it to be the founder of the clan, sure. It's that too. You know, it, it, it is whatever you want it to be. Um, and I think that's a really important thing we should always kind of keep in mind as players and storytellers, like the meta plot is only there. Like I'll get real serious with you here. The meta plot only existed. So you would buy more books. That's it. Like meta plot sure. was forwarded so because it was a sales technique, yeah. Yeah. but the metal plot's awesome and we love it because we can have conversations like this, you know, who's right. Who's wrong. Who knows? You know, and I think that that's that's a great part of the game. But I think being super stuck on it, I'm not saying you got to go, you know, full Requiem and just ignore any kind of meta plot. But 
you know, just remember it's your game and there are no right or wrong answers. I mean, I've been, I've played in some games where some plots were, were thrown in my lap that I guess for all intents and purposes, they would be workable. They'd be doable in the world of darkness, but they were just like, why would you think that that would be fun? You know? So (laughs) yes, there is a careful balancing act there. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you have to find what a player likes as a storyteller um, and, and try and run that for them. Um, you know, I was very intentful with this whole uh, Flower of Kupala plot. Uh, plot. Um, first, I just thought it was completely providential that they happened to go on the actual feast day uh, without realizing it. Um, and I was like, well, we got to do something with that. You know, you know. You know can't have a coincidence like that and not do something. Right. Um, but I also made sure that it was like the Tremere and the, you know, the Asimites who <laughs> were interested in studying something, you know, the kind of people who would decide to stay an extra night in Transylvania in the yeah. middle of this Carpathian's castle, just so they could go hunting for the magical. Well, and, you know, if it's a Tremere that's going, I mean, they're basically family already. So I mean, you exactly. Know. It never met a Tremere that was like, oh, I really don't want to hear about that infernal deal. Yeah. <laughs> so um, before we wrap up, let me ask you, you know, the age old question. What's what's uh, what's on the agenda? What's coming up next for By Night Studios? Um, as far as like, do you have any new material uh, planned yeah. or? Ch- Changeling the Dreaming um, is returning after uh, nearly 20 years this month. Um, it'll be released on Storyteller's Vault. Uh, there's a ton of excitement around it. I'm I'm very excited myself. I have been playing in some of the uh, clubs, uh, kind of pre-Chronicle games uh, for it. Uh, I think the team's really put together just, you know, as quality a book as, as Werewolf and Vampire before it. And it will really bring back the dreaming setting uh, for the live action community in a way that hasn't been, uh, I, I'm not sure if you ever played the, uh, the old shining host, uh, rules, I had the books on my shelf, but I, I never played it. You know, there were, there were a lot of flaws in laws of the night. There were a lot of flaws in laws of the wild. Uh, there were mostly flaws in shining host, but people still loved it because <laughs> they could tell the kind of story that they wanted to tell, which was a modern urban fantasy story. Uh, that was a little chaotic. And, and sometimes that's what, you know, that's what a, a, a troop wants when they've had enough, you know, personal horror and vampire or societal horror and werewolf. They, they want something a little bit more lighthearted, but still grounded in realism. And yeah. that's uh, what dreaming can provide. Now, I, I'm the biggest fan in the world of Lost. Um, I even played in a Lost LARP that was kind of adapted uh, from the rules of tabletop. But I think dreaming has the potential uh, to make a big comeback. You know, I like to say it's the it's the once and future king of, of modern urban fantasy art. I can say I have never seen people have more fun playing probably any game than the amount of fun I saw people having every year at Gen Con playing Changeling. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things, I guess maybe I'm like Mr. Edgy or whatever. Like I like vampire. I like playing werewolves. Um, but man, 
every vampire player was just like a dour, just, you know, sitting there with their sour puss. And meanwhile, <laughs> a room over, there's like 30 people playing changeling and they just seem to be having the most fun in the whole world. And uh, so, yeah, it's, I, I have a 20th edition, a 20th anniversary edition tabletop book sitting on my shelf waiting to be read and played. So that's awesome. I'm, gl- I'm glad you guys are, are diving into changeling. Yeah. We, we want to talk about challenges. Uh, it was a challenge to get changeling from, it had been kind of in beta for a couple of years. There were a lot of different writers involved that, uh, you know, weren't, necessarily working together in the same way that they had been in the past. And we had, we had to smooth all that out, get it ready for release. That was, uh, I think my biggest kind of learning experience of just how many diverse pieces go into making, uh, something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it'll be great to see it, uh, when it's in its final form, we're just in, uh, editing and layout now. Well, I say we're editing, we're in layout, uh, and, uh, adding in all the art, um, which should just be fantastic. That's awesome. Um, so when, when are we expecting that to come out or? So I was hopeful that I could give you a date. Unfortunately, uh, you may have heard a little bit about this. We had a, there was a petition about a month ago to remove one of the, uh, 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 Models for uh, the Sombra clan owing to some allegations in the community. I, I won't comment on that, but I will say that uh, in order to meet the needs of the community, we had to divert essentially our art and editing and layout from Changeling back to the 2013 Vampire, um, get a new model involved, um, and re-release kind of the old book. And that set us back a couple of weeks. Um, you know, I can imagine <laughs> we are hopeful and I would say extremely positive on having it out in the next few weeks. I should have a date soon, but I can't offer it tonight. No, and that's okay. I mean, we're still, you know, 2020 for the release date of bloodlines too. So it's, <laughs> I, I think it's okay, but, uh, that's awesome. Well, let, let me know when it comes out, obviously, um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, let everybody, let the five people who are now currently listening to this podcast know. Um, but eventually there will be six to 10, you know, so um, I'll have more people to tell. Um, but, well, if, uh, if yeah. I hear between tonight and tomorrow, I will make sure to let you know <laughs> for the teaser. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Um, what about like, um, I'm not trying to push my luck here, but what about like um, Wraith, Mage? Are those... Uh, like on the agenda are those like down the line or is that like a, a who knows? I, th- I, think, I think everything's uh, an opportunity that could be explored. Um, obviously one of the major focuses next needs to be on making a V5 compatible version of the, the LARP rules. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I, I think that all the venues, especially if you can get, you know, kind of the flagship, lines back to where they were in the nineties. Um, a lot of opportunities open up and, you know, Wraith is one of my personal, I, I love the lore of Wraith. I just think it's so fun. Um, and just kind of the themes behind it. it it's very exciting. Um, Mage, I've run a tabletop for years. Um, you know, I, I guess on going on eight years now, um, I, I would love to see it return to LARP. 
Mm-hmm. I just think that we need to first focus on the flagship products, um, yeah. the ones that we know have a market out there for them. And then when those markets grow to where, you know, somewhere comparable even to where they were in the 90s, then all the other markets open up. You know, yeah. a rising tide lifts all boats. No, no, that's that's very true. That's kind of my ethic on the thing too. Um, now, uh, one last question, and then I'm gonna let you go. It's probably dinner time somewhere. It's about to be for me. Um, as far as the um, the the sort of like transition from, well, actually, you may you may not even be you know you may not have been affected by this, but you know, for for fans that that have been paying attention, you know, white wolf sort of like became a company and then white wolf wasn't a company anymore. And now they're kind of just a name that is owned by paradox has that process and all the fun stuff that's happened with that. Um, and I use fun sarcastically. Has that affected like how you folks have proceeded? Has that affected your willingness to, you know, develop that sort of V five centric LARP, or has it just been kind of like you got your thing and you're doing your thing? Um, I think we, you know, as you can see kind of from the BNS and, and Paradox Pride store, um, you know, and obviously I can't, I can't comment on ongoing uh, discussions on future things until they're uh, um, uh, formally cleared for comment. Right. But uh, I, I would say that Paradox has been a great partner to us so far. And while I certainly understand that there is a long and storied history uh, with uh, the team that's involved there now, um, including, uh, you know, some some challenges that they faced in the past and, and I think have grown from, um, you know, the people we work closely with over there are the, are the same people who helped start uh, Finite Studios, you know, Jason Carl and uh, other uh, members of Paradox's World of Darkness team. Um, so to me, they're a great partner in, insofar as uh, they're, they have a clear vision and uh, they are receptive to uh, proposals that are mutually beneficial, which to me is kind of all you can really hope for um, yeah. in, a, in a corporate partner. Uh, I also think that, uh, you know, it would be insane not to look at the coming out of bloodlines too, where a million more <laughs> people are going to look at this IP uh, a million and interact with it. Yeah. And those people could be future tabletop players. They could be future LARPers. Um, you know, our marketing communications director who has the uh, kind of the dubious honor of being the youngest person working at BNS uh, rather than myself uh, they got involved in this whole thing because of playing Bloodlines One. Yeah, that and that was a shocking thing years, to me. Or twenty-one yeah. years old. That that honestly, uh, and I'm sorry for interrupting you, but that that's one of the most shocking things that that I've learned over the last few years is how many people that game brought to you know the the table, the quote unquote table. It just struck me dumbfounded and, and still has a huge audience. Yeah. I think especially some of those early scenes in the game, like I mentioned the one of them earlier where nines is like, that's bull. That's so iconic. Um, now naturally, uh, you know, we have the 
most excitement for Bloodlines 2. I've, I've seen some of the trailers. Just, they just look great. But um, I think that Binance Studios and, and really any person or company involved in the World of Darkness would be wise to look at where this potential influx of new fans to the IP um, and see what they can do to make sure that what they're offering also serves those people. Yeah. You know, if we, for example, decided we're going to go back to revised laws of the night and that's what we'll sell. Well, we could, and I'm sure we could sell it and I'm sure people would play it, but would that really meet the modern LARP community's wants? And more importantly, the, incoming infusion of players that I think has been, if anything, the, the biggest uh, failure of the Mind's Eye Theater community was in retaining people. Yeah. Cause yeah. as you're very well aware, there were, you know, 10 times as many players back when I was something like 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, it, it, you're, you're, I mean, you're definitely correct in that. It's uh, it, it is an issue that I think, um, you know, a, a key thing that I try to do, um, you know, I don't know why I'm so like focused on like Nate's personal growth, but like, well, I, you, I try, you, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but especially within the context of like podcasting and talking about this game, you know, I think it's really important not to stand in the way of people that are looking to enjoy the thing that you like, you know, uh, not, not to basically like hold the key to the gate and, and, and be like, you shall not pass. Um, I think it's really important to, to know like, Hey, this is what the game is now. And you know, if you're an old fan, there's, there's no, no one's telling you that you can't play yeah, exact books on your, on your, on your shelf. You know, no one's telling you, you can't go and play mind's eye theater you know, your revised edition. No, you know, I, I recently bought like a first edition, uh, mind's eye theater laws of the night book, the little black one, mm -hmm. because I was just like, ah, I want to have that. That's cool. It's not worth anything. I'm never going to use it, but it's on my, it's on my shelf. And you know, it's the same thing with, with any new rules. You know, there are things about that game that people are going to expect. And when they go and they play a LARP and they, there is no hunger system and you know, there is no, you know, the, the, the key factors of that edition are not, or what's presented in that game aren't there. They're gonna be like, what is this? This is not what I know, you know? And yeah, I guess it happens with all games, but you know, you, you, the goal should be bring the new people in and keep them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be a one for one between tabletop and, and LARP. It never has been, No, but, um, you know, there has to be simplification for LARP. Um, yeah, especially, especially on the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the results of the powers, right. not so much the, the idea or even what's in scope, but it just, it needs to be the same thing every time in LARP because if it's not, then how are you going to run a game with 60 people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very strong believer in as little rules as possible, but as long as there's still rules. Um, you know, I've, I've played in, I've, I've played in every type of game and 
Um, well, maybe not every type, but I've played in most of like the different styles of, of LARPing. And uh, I don't like so many rules. It just gets mired into four hours of people throwing rock, paper, scissors. But also, like, I feel like there needs to be some accountability. You know, there needs to be some sort of ruling system so that the world functions in a way that is logical for all participants. I think you can run the games both ways. And I think they both work. Honestly, I think you can run completely rules light. Um, I think it does require more work on the storyteller's part. Um, you know, cause the storyteller has to be involved in basically everything at that point. Cause they, they right. have to, they have to basically prevent the clash that will happen because if they don't, they're just going to be picking sides. And if they're picking sides, then somebody's going to quit. Right. It's <laughs> um, not a game then. <laughs> in there is something to be said for a, a fully scripted narrative experience. And we definitely want to serve that and, and help facilitate that. I also think there's something to be said for kind of, I wouldn't call it accountability so much as I would say agency. It's, it's the agency of the players. That's different. Mm, yeah. You see, that's, that's in, a good term if the storytellers and the players all hold to the same rules, then if there's PVP with all the out of character concern and, you know, the idea of that we still got to love each other, even if our characters are fighting. And just because that person's character was mean to you doesn't mean that they are being mean to you. Mm -hmm. And even if they are being mean to you, maybe they can adjust, you know, we can talk this out, but, but all that aside, when it comes down to it, Without the rule system guiding it, it just it, it it defaults to like what I said, where the storyteller is just kind of deciding who wins. And right. you can do that. And if you have a storyteller that everybody loves, everybody trusts, and everybody knows has their best interest in heart and consistently proves that, it can work great. But I, I find that in a longer term chronicle, that's very difficult to maintain for them. And it it tends to be more of kind of like an event type thing or, you know, you you might have to have like a a team of folks that are just kind of, you know, working one-on-one with people to make sure that their arc doesn't, um, you know, end up with someone asking, well, why is he Prince? (laughs) (laughs) And then being responded with a physical challenge, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because now you die. (laughs) That sucks. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I've, I've played in very like rules light games and, um, they were, they were like one time events and that was great fun, but I just, I, you know, I don't think it, it can last very well over a long term, um, for, for all the reasons you said. So, um, well, all right. Uh, I've kept you for over an hour and I appreciate you giving me that time. Um, I would love to have you back when, you know, yeah, when these new things are announced and, uh, you know, I guess anytime you just want to talk about vampires. Oh, I'm um, totally down. I would love to, I'd love to, uh, come back sometime. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, we need to do more of this generally speaking in the mind's eye theater and the LARPing community, uh, you know, kind of long form discussions on the subjects that matter to it because w- without it, there's no, there's no cohesiveness to it. Everybody's just kind of, you know, the blind leading the blind. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful 
to you, Nate, for, for having me on here. And well, thank uh, you. I hope that it was a, a good conversation and I look forward to coming back sometime in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was a great conversation. And, um, you know, what you said about, you know, this sort of thing being done more often, you know, that's, that's kind of like another one of my goals as far as podcasting is concerned. Um, you know, I love to talk with my friends. I think my friends are entertaining, but also, you know, I love to talk to people that I wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to talk to that have other insights into, you know, the games that I love, you know, whether it's other podcasters, creators, writers, etc. Um, I, I think that's like, you know, everybody else does it in their little corner of the world. Like, why don't we, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think when we do, it will be a more evolved community. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, all right. Thank you again for being on. And uh, we will talk to all of you later. Thank you for listening. And here's the outro. Thanks for listening to the 2D10 podcast. If you liked what you heard, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our YouTube channel, TWO, the letter D, T-E-N. Don't forget to spell it, you dumb dub. If you want to support us more, go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode. <laughs> Don't judge me.